0: Hey, hey, Boss Free Ballers! Patty Dominguez here with Tim Wambach. Also, episode twenty-nine already. Episode twenty-nine. We're having so much fun doing this show. We have Mitch Matthews up today, and he is a keynote speaker, success coach, fellow podcaster of Dream Think Do, and best-selling author. You're going to hear from Mitch how he transitioned out of his corporate job into a career just doing it one bite size at a time he's going to give you some valuable information if you're in that state where you feel overwhelmed and you're just like oh my god I have to get out of this job how do I do it he's going to give you the goods on that great conversation he's a lot of fun a genuine individual you deserve to listen to this show so take a listen and please do remember to hit the subscribe button because that's how we know and that's what makes you officially a boss reballer as well as making sure to leave us a ratings and review we appreciate it greatly and here we go
1: Your entertaining entrepreneur therapy session with your hosts Tim Wambach and Patty Dominguez. Couch not included.
2: Patty, we're back. We're having fun. Our show is continuing to evolve, and we're excited for our guest today, Patty. I know I've talked to, to you quite a bit about our next guest,
0: quite a bit indeed. And as I well, understand it, as a personal consumer of his awesome podcast, I'm excited to have him on the show. He is going to drop major value bombs. So no pressure on the guest, but just so we know, we're teeing it up yeah,
2: that way. No pressure for our guest is His name is Mitch Matthews. He's a keynote speaker, a success coach, and a best-selling author. Author. and as patty and i said he's a fellow podcaster his podcast is dream think do and it's at the top of the itunes charts uh patty so we have quite the high level guest on today you know that's which how I'm, we roll tim that is how we roll and you know i we could i could go on and on and tell you all about mitch about how he's worked with organizations like nasa and disney and all these incredible places but just to kind of give you guys just a a, a peek into who Mitch is. Um, I met Mitch in July of 2011 and we were at a conference. Mitch was actually speaking at the conference and I was kind of helping, uh, behind the scenes. And we met, we talked for like five minutes and I kind of explained my story. He explained his story. And when he, we were done talking, he's like, you know what, Tim, your story is so cool. I think you should speak at the TEDx conference in Iowa city in November and he's like i'm going to give you the connection to to the individual who's in charge of that and lo and behold we made that connection and mike and myself handicapped this we were able to speak at the tedx uh iowa city convention it was it was november 11th 2011 so it was 11 11 11 which that's i always cool. thought was kind of cool but it was, that's the kind of person that mitch is i had i literally had known him for five minutes and he made a connection with me that literally you know opened so many different doors in our career so without further ado let's bring on mitch matthews to the boss free society podcast woohoo,
3: I am honored I tell you what, after that intro, I'm like all back in nostalgia land remembering that it? conference and everything yeah. plus I had the intimidation Patty, you can understand this I invite him, or you know, I had no say in the whole TEDx thing, but I said I think, you know, this, these TEDx guys are trying to put this awesome conference together and I, you, I said, Tim, you gotta be there, and I connected them and then after Tim and Mike get up there do their thing, I'm like, oh crap Because the thing I hadn't thought of is I got to follow those guys. Are you kidding me? How the heck do I do that? What was I thinking? You always put bad speakers in front of you so you look better. And then they come out and they get a standing ovation. I'm like, crap, what did I do to myself?
0: No, he definitely mentions it. Uh, To be honest, I think on our launch podcast episode, he talked about how that was such a pivotal moment in the handicap, this trajectory. So that is so cool that you were able to make that introduction. And it just goes to show the... The quality of person that you are, and really opening that door for him, and it's just been so cool. So it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Really looking forward to hearing more.
3: Absolutely, I love what you guys are doing, and I think this is just awesome. (laughs) Well,
2: it is awesome, Mitch. And you're awesome.
3: It's a (laughs) a cup of pure awesome. People should have like a safety harness on when they listen to this. I
0: want to know from Mitch. So, have you always been an entrepreneur? So, like taking a look at a wee young Mitch. Has this always been your calling?
3: A wee lad. Uh, no, it's hilarious. I actually, I grew up, my parents are absolutely amazing, um, but my mom is an accountant and my dad was a warden in a prison. Wow. So uh, not a lot of entrepreneurial blood, you know, rolling through my, brain, my veins or whatnot. Uh, but at a very early age, I kind of got bit by this bug, this entrepreneurial bug. I um, was an intense kid. I was, I've always been weird, but I was an intense kid. And so I fell in love with the idea of owning my own bike shop. When I was little and I grew up in this little town in Newton, Iowa, and there was one bike shop and it was on the corner, uh, the, the, it was a hole in the wall. And then, you know, next to it was the Goodwill and behind it was a strip club. Oh yeah. This is the kind of place to hang out. Right. And so I, at 12 rode my bike up there every day in the summer to try to learn as much as I could. Um, I, I hung out there for an hour, two hours, three hours. And they basically, at the end of that summer, they either had to have me arrested for loitering or they had to hire me (laughs) and they hired me. And so I took this crash course on being an entrepreneur and learned a ton from this bike shop owner and, uh, worked there for a decade. And while I was there, I started to get a bug towards also speaking and writing and training and. Started studying things like sales and, and adult learning strategies, which did not make me popular in high school, but it started to set me up for what I wanted to do. But then I decided to kind of go and take the corporate route for a decade and learn as much as I could and earn as much as I could and try to launch something on the side. And that's that's what I did. And we, we launched it in 2002 and have been doing it ever since.
0: That is amazing. So is this the corporate background I'm interested in just because I, yeah. share, I share in that pain too. When you yeah. were in corporate, did you always knew you wanted to get yourself out of that? Or, I mean, was it just that foundation of, you know what, let me collect the paycheck, but oh, by the way, on the side, I have a side hustle.
3: Right. Uh, so it was both and. Okay. So in college, uh, so I, I, grew up working at that bike shop, learning a ton, you know, I was that crazy kid who loved to get up on a Saturday morning at 4am because I like to make a ton of money. I like selling stuff and that's just kind of how I was wired and that's how the bike shop owner did it. And so I learned that I, I really had that start to, you know, starting to be a part of my DNA. But then I got hooked in college and somebody came to me and they knew I was passionate about sales and they came to me and said, would you do a workshop on sales uh, for our organization? And I said, yeah, I think I could do that. You know, I'm like, of course I could do that. And he said, well, how much would it cost? And, you know, this was back in 90 and I was, you know, 20. And you can do the math. I had to do the math. Did you see my brain hurting <laughs> I there? Did, I did, I did. I have an accountant. I have a, a financial person. My brain just hurt right there. <laughs> but anyway, I said, a thousand bucks. Which, I mean, a 1000 bucks was huge to me, right? I mean, still is a big deal. But it was like a huge deal. And the guy's like, all right. I was like, oh, my gosh, I could do that. It was like making my own money. I'm like, make it rain, baby, you know? (laughs) So I got hooked there. But then I thought, you know what? I'm also, you know, I've still got that that, uh, warden and that CPA in me. My dad was a a Marine as Mm -hmm. well. And so, like, uh, it was one of those where I kind of thought, I need to learn some stuff. I can't just, I don't know enough yet to do this on my own. So, when I went into the corporate world, I thought what do I need to learn? And I thought I no matter what I do, I'm going to need to know how to sell even more. So I said, I want to sell stuff, and then I worked into corporate training, and all of those were great experiences, but I knew that I was you know, and I knew I was on this eventual trajectory towards entrepreneurship. But the last couple of years, those, those good fit learning experiences started to turn into really bad fit, uh, almost going to kill me kind of experiences, which I'm grateful for because that could have gotten really comfortable because I was making good money and all of that stuff. But there was a series of things that made it, made me realize if I keep doing this, I'm selling my soul. And, uh, I always say something that's, that's crass and terrible, but, you know the difference between a bad job and prostitution is simply penetration and it's it's one of those things where if you start selling yourself for money um it there's a very fine line and it's that I, that's where i started to that's where i started to realize if i keep on this trajectory I'm going to I'm selling my soul. I'm losing myself. So literally, that.
0: that's a quotable. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, that's, that's a quotable. If you want. That's going to yeah, be on a tweet. That's, that's one my grandma's not real proud a, of. But I, a, I, I do think this. it paints a picture. Yeah, for sure. I can completely appreciate. And for the for the listener who listens to us all the time, who's a boss baller, mm. just in training, I, I agree, <laughs> I agree with you in that respect. And it's like, at what point do you realize I have to be boss free? Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that?
3: Absolutely. So for me, it was one of those things that, and and I, I, I don't know how much. Uh, well, we haven't talked about this, but I, I've also done an interview series called Dream Job Revolution. And what I did was I've interviewed about a hundred people. It's going to be a book someday, uh, but it's <laughs> it's uh, I've interviewed about a hundred people that have achieved. Uh, or they've either created um, or achieved uh, dream jobs. And what I've found with them is there's kind of a series of things that happens, but one of them is the seasonal component of anybody's dream job trajectory. And that is, is that there's a lot of times people would love to have a dream job, but they have to have what we call bridge jobs in order to start moving towards that dream job. And a bridge job is, it's, it's simply like, when you think about a bridge, a bridge is designed to get you somewhere. Most people don't build houses on bridges because it's not comfortable. It's not where you want to stay, but it's something that gets you somewhere. So it's either because you can learn something, earn something, or connect with someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those bridge jobs are meant to kind of be uncomfortable. And I know towards the end, uh, the sales, I was in the pharmaceutical world, was kind of my last uh, you know, era in the, in the corporate world. And it was a really, it had become, it started out as a great bit. Uh, when I was first going into sales and all that stuff, but it had become a bad fit, not because it was a bad industry, not because I necessarily worked for a bad company, but it was because I'd grown to the point where this was no longer a good fit. And so I started to say, okay, um, how do I assess, uh, you know, I could feel that or it was no longer a good fit. So I started to say, how can I start to create, well, what I created was what I called a one hour business. Because uh, my wife and I were living a uh, sitcom life, which was single income, two children, oppressive mortgage. So I couldn't just <laughs> leave. I couldn't just quit. Like we didn't have this serious bank account full of cash where we could just sit and all that stuff. So I said, and I didn't have a ton of time. I was busy. So I said, what's a one hour business? And that was, how could I start to build something on the side one hour a day? Because man, I can, I can work real hard but I can always find an extra hour to do something. So I started to say what would be a 1-hour business. And that's where I loved coaching and that's that's really where I started was the coaching was I thought in the beginning I could take that hour and I could learn my craft. I could start to build systems and all of that. And then I thought eventually even on a day when I'm, you know, doing this all on the side, the side hustle, I thought I could even do a coaching call in that hour. So that became a one-hour business on the side, and I, I started to build that. And that's what allowed me to have a big old goofy grin on my face, pleased as punch that I was in this bad fit job because I knew I was on a trajectory to be out of it.
0: That's brilliant. Okay, yeah. major value bombs there, Boss Reballers. Look, like, seriously, that right there. Rewind, listen – what am I saying? Rewind, play, yeah. play the podcast show again, because that is like gold right there on how, because it's a question that we get on Twitter. Hey, how do I become boss free? How do I yeah. make that happen? And so what we work on um, in, in our podcast and our show is talking about the habits and the skills and the mindset, the motivation, et cetera. So it's really a multifaceted component. But what you're giving is something that is bite sized that people can yeah. implement into their life on the side that's going to bridge. I love that whole concept.
3: Well, thank you. It's It's true. And it's it's one of those, even in new projects, because you guys, you guys know how like we're entrepreneurs partly because we have short attention spans, right? And so (laughs) we like to do stuff. And I even I challenge myself that if we want to do something new, I put it into the one hour business category. Like I can't allow myself to just completely do a 180 in our business. So I'll say, All right, I'm gonna give myself an hour a day. What would I do with that for that new thing? That's in some ways how the podcast got started was I said, okay you know, I'd love to devote a ton of time to that, but I can't. But to be able to say, how could I devote an hour to that? What would I do with that hour? What would that look like? All of that kind of stuff. And that also, when we were building our business on the side, I realized initially my goal was savings, but then I realized the more important goal was systems. Mm. And that was big for me because I, as a recovering warrior and my mom being an accountant, uh, there was never going to be enough money to make me feel like I could, you know, cause I'd say, well, if we had a month in the bank, that'd be okay. And then it's like, we got the month and it was like, well, once we have three months in the bank, well, that'd be <laughs> enough. And when we have six months in the bank, that would be enough. And I realized that's never going to work. So one of the other things I set my goals around were systems, um, so that I could create what I called a, a leap number. And that was it, uh, initially I thought my leap number was going to be six months of savings in the bank. But as I started to network with other people who were kind of doing or trying to do what I was doing, I realized there was a real problem with that in that I would see people save up a year. And then they'd stop and they'd go try to launch their business. And then they take a month off because they're really tired. And you know they're just trying to – we're going to ease into this. And then grandma got sick. And you know what? I've got free time. I can go hang out with grandma and all this kind of stuff. And lo and behold, they've got a month left of savings and they don't have anything in place. Right. Whereas I said, I'm going to think about my systems. So I started to say, OK, I, I, I can't work enough to completely replace my salary, but – If I could have enough where – if I have systems in place where I'm making 30% of my monthly take-home every month with my side business and I can do that three months in a row, then I knew that I had systems in place that if if I devoted all my time to it, that I could more than surpass my income. And so it was one of those things where I went after systems, not savings. And I put a two-year plan in place to do that. And by God's grace and some cool things that happened, all that stuff, I thought it was going to take two years and it took us about five months. And I was able to say, see ya. And um, yeah, and not look back after that. So I went uh, systems, not savings. And that made all the difference.
2: The power of systems. Yeah. I think that's that's a really good – Analogy for our, our listeners, our boss-free ballers, as Patty likes to say, because that, that 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 hit me. That really did, Mitch. That was a that's a great a great story that that you just shared with us. That I think I, all of us can really put that into place. Yeah. Now, well, thank you. Now, when you you said that you started something in two thousand two, and I, I know your story a little bit. Uh, yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to maybe veer off and talk a little bit more about the the big dream gathering and what. Yeah. First what that is and then how it started because I was telling Patty before, like, I'm like, you've got to hear this story because it's just – it's like – just to give a kind of warning to all our boss free ballers out there, the hairs on your arm are going to stand up because okay. it's so cool. I'm you guys ready. keep setting the, ball, the bar so
3: high. I'm like, Oh gosh, I hope I can deliver here. <laughs> He's like,
0: honey, I need a drink after this. <laughs>
3: exactly right, were- No, I, I so appreciate it, Tim. And, and I know that you've been impacted by it. And the thing that's so cool about the big dream gathering is I can kind of, I can, I can sing its praises because it, it feels like in some ways, we've been the curator of it, but, uh, it's, it's really its own thing and it's amazing. So the short story is back in 2006, we had our own business for, uh, four years. See, you're making me do math again for crying out loud. Stop it, people. Um, so the 2006, my wife and I are, we were working on our business. I got a new product idea and we started to work on that and really kind of did an all in move with it. We kind of took a big risk and everything was trick, just, trucking along great. And then over a period of about a month, everything just fell apart. So we needed a manufacturer for this idea and we had one, but that relationship crumbled. We had all this important information on a computer and that computer died and we lost all of it. So I'm a huge proponent of backing stuff up. I wasn't at the time, but we lost a ton of work. And then the big one was we started to really run out of money and that was scary. And on a particular morning, on a Saturday morning, I was in my office. I'll never forget about it. And uh, uh, I'm thinking, I'm bailing. This is not what I signed up for. This is scary. Uh, This is embarrassing. I'm tired. And we've all been there as entrepreneurs. And then I got hit with this thing of, um, you know, I need my friends to help me with this. And then I started to think, I, I wonder what some of my friends' big dreams are. Maybe I could help them with theirs if they knew what mine was. Maybe we could help each other out. And so I hatched this plan. Tim knows the story. But it, it's, it's also proof positive that I married up because we're out of time, out of options, and out of money. And my idea was to throw a party, right? <laughs> so like my wife's like, sure, what could it hurt? Uh, but we invited about 30 of our friends over to say, let's write our dreams down. Let's put them up on the walls. Let's compare notes, see if we can help each other out. So we gave everybody uh, dream sheets. They wrote their dreams down, wrote them up on the, the – basically we had everybody at our house. We um, had them post their dreams up on our, the walls of our living room and on our dining room. And we just started comparing notes, writing notes on each other, encouraging each other, all this kind of stuff. And uh, it was supposed to go for a couple of hours um, on a Tuesday night, but we totally lost control of it and it lasted for a whole week. So we knew everybody that was there the first night. Then they started to bring people the second night. Then random strangers just started showing up at our house. We had a door-to-door salesman that even walked in, thought he'd walked in on a cult. (laughs) He wound up staying for like three hours, quit his job two weeks later, all this kind of stuff. I mean, just crazy. And, I mean, we had everything from two people met and they connected around a dream and they got a contract with Nike. We had somebody that had a dream of going helping these kids in Africa. And somebody that didn't know her gave her a thousand bucks for the trip. Uh, We got help with our dream, all sorts of stuff. And it just kind of, it just, it was amazing. It was this happy accident. Um, And what's amazing is we were able to get that product off the ground. We were able to get it into the stores by Christmas, and it still exists. But the bigger thing has been the big dream gatherings. And now we do these big dream gatherings, which was really – you know, it sounds all altruistic, but it was an act of total desperation. Mm. Um, But now we do those all over the country, and I'm wildly blessed to say we do most of them on college campuses uh, because I want to inspire people to think about their dreams, write them down, and then create a culture where we're encouraging each other in those dreams. And so that's a little story of the big dream gathering, and we've had crazy stories of what's happened when – Real people get in a room together, use pencil and paper and encourage each other. when they give themselves permission to dream and then encourage each other to dream together. So that's the big dream gathering story. A little bit of it.
0: I want to attend. <laughs> that is so cool. That's amazing how it just came out of nowhere. It seemed like the, 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 well, I don't want to say rock bottom, but the nature of how it started and that how it catapulted into what it is today. How many yeah. of them do you have a year?
3: Uh, it really depends. We probably average about 15 a year. Wow. I would say, yeah. So mostly we do them on college campuses because there's a couple of reasons. One, colleges really need speakers, and, um, and it's a very unique experience. But also, I do them on college campuses kind of a personal thing because uh, one of the things, one of the biggest crisis I think our country is facing, and it's one that not a lot of people are talking about, is that our college students aren't dreaming. mm. They've been given a lot of experiences. A lot of them have been given a lot of experiences, but very few of them have ever been asked, what would you love to do? What are your dreams? You know, and they see all the terrible headlines. They see they're racking up school debt, all those kinds of things. And they're starting to shut down and not, not dream. And I think that's one of our biggest crises because if our college students aren't dreaming, we're screwed.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. And to really be able to say not only are, what are my dreams, but to write them down and then start to actually think about a plan and even encourage each other in those things and push each other and all those things. So that's one of the other reasons we do them on college campuses and it's been huge.
0: Well, I think it, it brings to mind that whole book about, the Strangest Secret or whatever by Earl Nightingale, he says oh, yeah. men after the age of 25, you're saying that they're, they're not even hitting the age of 25 before they let the concept of dreams go.
3: No. So it's I even mean, worse just, than when Earl at was at the University of South, uh, uh, South Carolina, an amazingly talented group of students, um, just really rock star, a room full of rock stars. And I, I, I just am blown away every time. Uh, because they come up at, to me afterwards and say, you know, uh, I, I've thought about where I want to go to school. And I've thought about maybe the kind of career I want to have. But nobody has ever asked me what my dreams are.
0: Oh, I just got
3: chills. Right? And it's that whole thing. And I'm, I'm looking at some of the most talented people out there. And, you know, I'll even say, like, well, what do you want to do? What would you love to do? And they well, I think I want to be an accountant okay, well, well, you know, where, you know, to help them to dig in and what does that mean? And, and where we, you know, uh, we've had all sorts of students set all sorts of dreams and, and, uh, um, uh, you know, really go after them. Even one student I was talking with and he said, I think I want to be a consultant. I'm like, that's great. Who would you love to be a consultant for? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, no, seriously, who's the dream? Like, who would you love to work for? And this was a really talented kid, but nobody would ever asked him that. And he's like, well, probably the big dog, the enchilada would be McKinsey and company. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. I'm like, that's impressive. You even know that that was top of mind. I'm like, so when do you reach out to him? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, when do you reach out to him? Why don't you reach out to him? Uh, and so we talked to I, well, just had another example of, uh, <laughs> and this is how crazy it can be, but I was going to a big dream gathering in Rochester, New York and came across a couple of students while I was flying there in Chicago, uh, in O'Hare. And I'm sitting with these two students, and it's funny. One's reading a book on uh, getting your master's degree or getting your MBA, and one's reading a book on job interviews. And they're like, "How'd you know we were college students?" I'm like, "It's a <laughs> wild. They're ass. great guys, great guys." But I said, "Okay, so here's the thing." I said, uh, "You know what would you love to do?" And they're like, "I don't know." And I said, "No, seriously, you know what would you love to do?" And one of the students was like, "Well." I think I'd like to get into commercial real estate. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I said, why? And we kind of dug into his why a little bit. And then I said, where? Where would you love to live? And these guys guys both went to the University of Miami, which ironically is in Ohio. So, you know, that always threw me off. But they go to the University of Miami. And one of them said, I'd love to live in Atlanta. I said, so what you'd really love to do is you'd love to at least experiment with uh, commercial real estate and you'd love to live in Atlanta. He's like, yeah. I said, well, who do you know there? And he said, I don't know that many people there. I said, who do you know? And he goes, okay, I don't know anybody there. And I said, well, have you asked? You know, what do your roommates' parents do? Uh, you know, what, what do your friends do? Uh, you know, who lives there? All that kind of stuff. And he's like, and so we started to go through kind of that short list of people that he might know. And I said, can we do an experiment? And he's like, sure. I said, what if we just ask around? So here we are at a gate in O'Hare, and he's like, okay. And you could tell I just scared the crap out of him, right? Like this very thought scared the crap out of him. And it scared me too, just a little bit. Cause I'm like, I'm gonna reach out to somebody, they're gonna tell us we're dumb shits and then, you know, like just <laughs> shut it down or whatever. But I turn around and there's we're at a we're at a table, and there's a gal next to us, and she's kind of been in and out of our conversation, young professional, all that stuff. And I said, Hey, would you participate in an experiment with us? She's like, sure. I said, My new friend. Um, would love to someday work in commercial real estate and he'd love to live in Atlanta. Do you know anybody that lives in Atlanta? And she just, her face just lights up. She's like, you're not going to believe that. So I was like, trust me, sister hip. And she's like, she's like, not only do I know somebody that lives in Atlanta, but he's my very good friend and he is in commercial real estate. So this Clifford, this kid is just – his jaw just, just hit the table that we're at. And I'm even like, whoa, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you like, I'm, I'm good. good. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, so, OK. And she, I said, would you help my friend? I said, I don't know. I, Cliff and I have just met. So I don't know how talented it is, but this is a good guy and I, I, he's he's passionate about this. Would you at least be willing to make the connection? She gives him his card. She said, listen – I will help you, but you have to reach out to me. And he said, I will do that. I will do that, ma'am. He was very, very nice. Well, lo and behold, I, I go back and they actually invited me to come speak at the University of Miami, uh, like six months later. And I was able to reconnect with Cliff and I was like, dude, whatever happened with that? And he goes, you didn't know. And I'm like, no, he said, she connected me with him. I did an internship and I spent three months in Atlanta over the summer. I'm like, that's insane. But then, and this I think is important because this actually really plays into what we're doing here too, is he kind of got this sad look and I said, what? He goes, well, I kind of figured out I didn't like commercial real estate sales and you could, you could tell like he felt bad. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, you found out something that didn't work. Exactly. And I said, that's the power of experimenting. Like, that wasn't a failed experiment. If we were scientists, we'd be like, yes, because we figured something out. I said, but what did you find out? And he goes, I actually love the back end. Like, I love the contracts. I love the paperwork. I love to make sure that everything was ready to go. I'm like, ew, gross. I'm so (laughs) glad you do that because I hate that stuff. That's so great. And I said, but that's awesome. And he lit up again. He's like, that's okay. And I'm like, of course, that's okay that was an experiment and that's that's what i always say too with the one hour businesses kind of looping this back around with the one hour businesses a key part of that is to experiment to say do i love it do i not i mean i've had some one hour businesses that i i said i'm going to do this i'm going to work on this for a month or two see what works but also really assess do i like it what do i like and and really pay attention to that because i think some people start to set a trajectory almost like cliff they started to set a trajectory And then they realize, oh, I don't really like this. But they kind of feel like they have to stay on it just because they started it. And it's like, no, that's a part of this experiment. So experiment. Be like a scientist. Figure out what's true, what's not, and continue to kind of, again, work that epiphany as you do.
0: That is so good because it's also – it's offering you feedback, right? So I see it as feedback. I don't see it as a failure. I see it as feedback. I know when I first quit my job, I got into a social media manager job, and I realized over time, like I genuinely don't like this, (laughs) and so I got out of it because it because. Truly, I was doing something I didn't like. It's not fair to the clients that I was helping. Sure, I was you know, doing what I was required to do for my clients, but they deserve somebody that was more passionate about it. And so now I've screwed into more uh, coaching, this and that, and I love it. So I love the message that you're giving because I think it's so important is that people understand that testing it out, and I love the fact that if you do it in an hour increment, low risk, by the way, so the risk is there. It's going to offer you feedback that then you can say, I'm going to flex. I'm going to lean over this way because I know that this way I don't like. Yep. So that's exactly. a sewer part. Po- Sewer, not sewer, <laughs> super <laughs> powerful message. So thank, thank you, you for that, Mitch, because it, it was absolutely. really good. So, yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious as to know now about your podcast, because I know you're really yeah. passionate about it, and I know that's a project that you're working on this year, more full-fledged. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast, who your target audience is, and, and how you drop the value bombs?
3: Absolutely. Shablappy. Um, <laughs> so with, with Dream Think Do, it's it's kind of fun because um, Dream Think Do is kind of my motto, which is, and I, and I, it works, it works in some ways, dream, think, do that process is behind every innovation. That process is behind every breakthrough. That process is even behind every like great comeback, every sports comeback, every company comeback, because when people give themselves that permission to dream bigger and then think better and then do more of what they're supposed to do. That's what actually then gets the traction, right? So I'm all about that three-step process and also just admittedly, I stole that. I stole that (laughs) process. Um, So I stole it from scientists because dream, think, do is is really based on the scientific method Mm. because a scientist will go into the lab and say, okay, what do I want to do? They'll say, I want to prove something or disprove something. That's kind of the dreaming part. Like what do I want to go after? And then the hypothesis is the thinking part. And if you look up the definition for hypothesis, hypothesis, yeah, say that twice, (laughs) hypothesis, it actually is a best guess. It's a best guess at how something's gonna go. It's an educated guess. Um, And then the do part is the experimenting to be able to say, all right, now let's go set out to see what of this is true? What if it isn't? And to be able to then learn from that as fast as possible, limit your risks as you do that, and then continue on that cycle. So, uh, really, our audience—we um, uh, have a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of leaders that listen to this, but just a lot of people who really want to reawaken, whether they've got a big dream. You know, and that they want to go after or just more living in the way of saying, I just want to live true to what I was put here to do and to live a fully engaged life and to be, uh, you know, just really kind of on fire with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I've got a lot of leaders and a lot of entrepreneurs that apply these concepts to launch new ideas and launch businesses and all of that. But I've also got a lot of receptionists who listen in and just feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm doing something that I'm really good at and I should feel great about that. And then they, you know, hatch dreams, not about launching companies, but about skydiving or taking a trip to Italy or those kinds of things that they maybe had never given themselves permission to do. Um, they're able to do it and then start to put a plan in place and go after it. So it's fun and I, I, love, I, I love interviewing great people. Actually, Tim is uh, one of my guests coming up. Uh, right. which is really awesome. So I try to bring on wildly talented, super talented, smart people. Um, and then every once in a while I also do a, what we call a dream think do deep dive, where it's just, you, you know, me and the listener talking about a, a subject, helping them, uh, go deep on that.
0: Brilliant. Love it. I'm looking forward to that episode, Tim. I want to see what you say or hear what you say.
3: I was brilliant. Patty. <laughs> it, it's, it's crazy. There's moments where I just have to be quiet. Cause I can't even absorb the brilliance.
0: You're like, I wanted to cradle him.
3: <laughs> I know. It's, I wanted a spoon. That's for sure. It's like you cuddle. Let's cuddle. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's scary. So I what know, right? right. That's a created we're...
3: an image. Now everybody's feeling kind of sick. That's I'm gonna... I'm, yeah. Threw up just a little bit.
0: Yeah. I'm going to flex over on this side. So <laughs> tell me Mitch, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received?
3: Oh gosh. The best piece of advice I've ever received. Um, gosh, there's just so many. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those that, oh man, I didn't, that's, that's a big one. That's a thumper. Pow. (laughs) Pow. Shablappy. Come on. Uh, that's a good one, Patty. Um, I have received so much, so many pieces of advice that have been profound. I've really, you know, received some that were, that were not, but, uh, that were, but you know, one of the, one of the strategies, um, that, that really is a piece of advice from my bike shop days, Mm. um, was when I first started working there. And, uh, as you can imagine, I, they hired me and I turned 13. So I was a short kid with goofy, crazy hair and dork and all that, and the, the bike shop was named Marty Schwinn Cyclery. That's hot, right? Marty <laughs> Schwinn Cyclery. So when everybody walks in, who do you think they want to talk to at Marty Schwinn Cyclery? Not Mitch. Marty, not Mitch, not this thirteen year old kid. They wanted to talk with Marty, right? I mean, it was just all those things. So you know, first couple of customers, I go and I'm all excited, as you can imagine. I want to help them and all this stuff, and they're like, eh, "Can I talk to Marty?" I'm like, "Sure, I'll see," you know. And I go back. And and we do that a couple of different times. And then Marty, who's just infinitely wisdom, infinitely wise, said, hey, buddy, um, you know what? You've got a problem. And I'm like, yeah, uh, nobody wants to talk to me. And he said, well, here's the thing. You're trying to be interesting. Be interested. Yep. And I'm like, I'm 13. I don't know what you're saying. I still don't know what that And he's like, listen, you're trying to be the shiznits. That's my language, not his. But you're trying to be cool. You're trying to be all, you know, all that. You're trying to be me. And you're not. But that's okay. Be interested. And I'm like, okay. And I think I understood, you know, I started to understand what he was talking about. So the next person that came in, we had agreed that he was going to hide in the back. If they asked for him, he was going to hide in the back and we were going to try this. And I said, okay. So he comes in, this guy comes in, big, tall guy comes in, I asked for Marty, of course. And, you know, cause he's like a Yeti. He was like seven something and I'm like full <laughs> nothing. And, uh, anyway, and I go back at the back and I feign that I talked with Marty, he came back out and he said, I'm, he can't really come out yet. And he said, okay, I'll wait. And I said, okay, that's fine. And he had a, t- a T-shirt on from a local trail. And so I asked him about the trail. I said, oh, have you ridden that trail? And he's like, yeah, I, I rode that trail. And I was like, oh, yeah, did you, did you um, get chased by that dog, you know, by that farmhouse? And he's like, yes, I hate that dog. And so we start talking about the dog. And then we start talking about what he's really there for because I said maybe I could help you while he's waiting for Marty and all this kind of stuff. And over the period of an hour, I sell him a bike for $500. Nice.
0: Oh my gosh, at 13, Mitch?
3: Right, I know. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm so <laughs> pimp. And all this stuff, like it changed my life. And it was one of those things where I realized, yeah, he did want Marty, but more so he just wanted help. And he wanted help from somebody that was really interested in him. And I'm an introvert who's learned to be extroverted. I need a lot of downtime. Uh, you know, God's great sense of humor is my day job involves large groups of people all the time. So <laughs> as an introvert, I have to really toggle down and get a lot of alone time or time with just my wife or just my boys, that kind of thing. But this this piece of advice has seen me through so many different things, including networking and growing a great you know a net of, of great relationships is just that whole thing of anytime I'm entering into a huge room. And it's intimidating, especially as an introvert, all that stuff. I just have Marty's, you know, wisdom playing in my head of be interested, not interesting. And I can go in and, and all I do is, you know, instead of like, will people like me? Do they like my hair? Right. Does my coat match my shirt? Any of that crap. It's that, hey, how can I show somebody I'm interested in them?
0: That's, that's awesome. That is phenomenal advice.
3: So that's it. That's uh, that. There's a lot of different. I've been given some great advice, but that's one that's just changed my life.
2: Mm, love it. I'm gonna jump in and ask a couple different questions here before we before we close. But one is, what's a book maybe that you're reading right now that is totally kick ass? And what are some other books that you've read throughout your entrepreneurial career that really have resonated with you and really helped you, you know, on your trajectory of being successful?
3: Yeah. Um. Yeah, sometimes it's it's hilarious with books. Sometimes it's the book, and sometimes it's the title. Uh, so I, I like to I like to skim books, all that stuff. So one of the books that I'm reading right now that I'm a huge fan of Dan Pink. I don't know if you guys have read Dan Pink, but uh, he's got a book. It's not his newest book, but it's a book called Drive, and it is incredible. He geeks out on science like I geek out on science, and he has written. It's just an incredible. A look from a scientific basis on how we motivate ourselves and how we motivate others. And it basically breaks almost all of the rules that we have, especially around if you want to motivate somebody, um, kind of the misunderstandings and actually how detrimental the wrong kind of motivating motivations can be. So like a lot of times we'll think somebody's going to work harder if we throw more money at them. But honestly, it's so much more about autonomy. It's so much more about drawing out what is it that they want to do and it's all that stuff. So that one's been huge for me, huge. Um, so that one's one that just dive in. It is – you can read three paragraphs from that and it will sustain you for days. Um, so that's a great one to read. One that I'm sure everybody has probably heard of or whatever. But like the, the four-hour work week for me with Tim Ferriss, yeah. sure. I just needed to hear the title. <laughs> like, you know, I've got the book. I've read parts of it, but I'm like, I, dang it. Okay. I like that idea, right? And it's, I realized, like, I know very few people. I know a lot of people who are trying to look like they've achieved the four-hour work week, and they're either working their ass off and not wanting to look like they're working their ass off, or they're not making as much money as they say they're making, exactly. but trying to sell a program saying they are. Whatever it is. But that that book challenged me to say, okay, I have a short attention span. So um, – and I like to do lots of different stuff. So how can I you know, um, set systems up – back to our systems conversation. How can I set systems up so that the stuff that I love to do takes less time so that I can do it with more of the people that I really like doing it with and how can I kind of have that four-hour workweek mindset – uh, but apply it in a lot of different areas of my life, and not necessarily with the goal of then going and living in an island somewhere, which I probably should have as a goal. But I like people too much, and I like doing what I do too much. But I do think you know we can all do stuff more efficiently, more effectively, delegate more, uh, you know, automate more, all of those things. So um, you know, that's one where I just needed the the title to go. Dang, I wish I'd had that title and. <laughs> You know, now I'm gonna I'm gonna actually to strive to achieve more of that in my life.
2: Brilliant. Outstanding. Outstanding. So, so Tim? The last question and this okay. and this is, you know, you can you can take it any which way you want, but, oh, but basically word. but basically what we're looking <laughs> at is and this is we ask all our entrepreneurs this question as the, as their exit question. Um, in the next twenty four to forty-eight hours, what advice do you have to our boss free ballers uh to help them? on their path to becoming boss free, something that they can do the next 24 to 48 hours that that'll, that'll help.
3: Hmm. In the next 24 to 48 hours right on.
2: Um, okay. So
3: maybe people have liked the whole idea of the hour, one hour business. Um, one of the things that I've found is that, and I'm a recovering perfectionist, you know, what, Tim knows it, Patty, I've got issues. You know what I'm saying? Like I got, I hear it. Issues. <laughs> So I'm a, I'm a recovering warrior and I'm a recovering perfectionist. So one of the challenges that – one of the first humps that I had to overcome with my one-hour business concept was I always wanted four hours or I wanted to wait for it until I had a whole day to work on my business. And that never came, right? right. Um, so because I was a perfectionist, I wanted the ideal environment and I wanted the amount of time that I needed, all that stuff. And instead, I had to squeeze it down into this hour. So one of the ways that I got to that – was I started to create a separate to-do list that was around my, my one-hour business concept, but my separate to-do list was all filled with 15-minute to-dos, mm.
2: um,
3: 15 minutes or less. So if I had a big task, I had to break it down into a series of things that I could do in 15 minutes because one of the things I realized was that I could, you know, most days I could find an hour, but every day, and I mean every day, I could find 15 minutes. So it might be if I was thinking about a new business concept or if I was thinking about, uh, you know, even proposals. When I You know, one of my first things was like, what if what does the ultimate proposal look like? I would break that down into, how can I break that down into 15-minute chunks? So it might be going out and looking for images. It might be uh, learning what needs to be included. It might be thinking through my coaching packages. Whatever it was, 15 minutes. Because one of the things about 15 minutes is most people that I talk to about going after their big dreams or their big goals, the biggest thing that they have against them is time. They feel like, oh, gosh, I just don't have any time, Mitch. I don't have any time. And I'd say, what if I could give you a week and a half, just 60 hours, 60 hours to work on your dream? What would that do? People are like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I want it. You know, they're thinking I'm going to try to sell them something or whatever. It's like, okay, (laughs) 15 minutes a day, five days a week in one year, that makes for 62 and a half hours of time spent on your dream or goal. Now, in the moment, 15 minutes doesn't feel all all that big a deal. But over a year, that's 62 hours. That's a lot of work. But the big thing is, you can't sit down for that 15 minutes and go, what am I going to do today? (laughs) Right? It's like, okay, I'm going to my list and I'm going to click those things off. So if you were going to um, try to do something in the next 24 to 48 hours, especially if you like that idea of the one hour work or the one hour business, is to say, what could be some of my 15-minute to-dos? If you're kind of starting to think about a particular business, it's maybe going out and researching a book Or maybe it's even dedicating yourself to reading that book for 15 minutes or whatever it is, but giving yourself uh, that permission to do it in small but significant steps over time as opposed to waiting for that ideal window where you can do it all. (laughs) Because if you're like me, that ideal window don't ever happen. Um, So it's like it's that whole thing of how do you break this down and actually make it work in the real world? So I would say a 15-minute to-do list and keep that someplace where you don't have to worry about losing it. Um, and then start checking that bad boy off
0: bam awesome. that is oh, yeah. awesome see compound effect in effect there and you, you work- go
3: that's a great book too gosh <laughs>
0: Damn go it, hard. why couldn't we why couldn't we think of that right right <laughs> so guys thank you so much uh, such a pleasure to have you on Mitch. the so many of the nuggets that you gave are just absolutely actionable by people literally little things Small yeah. ideas, you know, you were so full of so many great ideas.
2: So There's just nuggets then, of wisdom. <laughs>
3: little <then>
0: nuggets. Nuggets,
2: <laughs> full
3: of nuggets, which sounds kind of disgusting, right? Of I mean, it's a little
2: gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's a chicken nugget. No,
3: That's I, right, I'm a chicken nugget. No, I appreciate it. Patty, is so great to connect with you. I don't know likewise. why it's taken so long, but it's so great to get connected. And Tim, it's always a good excuse to get to hang out, buddy. Absolutely. This is great. Awesome. Thanks Thank so, much so much for the honor.
0: All right, gang. So you're going to find all of Mitch's social media handles his address, his,
2: <laughs> his where, you can throw, where you can throw up a big dream on the on his kitchen table. Everything.
0: <laughs> he may catch you go. at an airport at a random airport, a random <laughs> gate. All of that information on Mitch is going to be in our show notes. And thank you again, Mitch, for your time, expertise, the know-how, and all the value bombs that you drop. We seriously appreciate you.
3: It's an honor. Absolutely. Keep doing the good work that you guys do. The world needs it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys. See you next time. Thanks, Mitch.
1: Thank you for listening to the Boss Free Society podcast. If you want more, connect with us on Facebook at Boss Free Society fan page, Twitter at Boss Free Society, or join our group of other boss-free minded peeps at the Boss Free Dojo on Facebook.